This is Negotiate X Podcast, show number 73, part B. Listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on the Negotiate X podcast. We are continuing our conversation with Scott Walker, Kidnap for Ransom Negotiator. If you haven't already checked out part A of this show, be sure to do that first. Let's jump into the conversation with Scott. So Scott, my wife and I just finished watching Hijack on Apple TV Plus, uh, starring Idris Elba, and then it really we enjoyed it. I am often very wary with how entertainment programs kind of... Um, show negotiations and whether it's that one or others i don't know if you've watched hijack what are the things do you see any movies and shows that they they either get right or get wrong about negotiations crisis or others do you have any favorite programs that you feel like do a, a pretty good job of portraying the complexities that you experience i too have seen hijack with idris elba and i think it's great i think it's uh I've got to be careful. We don't put any spoilers in here if anybody's not seen it yet. <laughs> I have not um, seen it. So, <laughs> I mean, it's a seven-part series, and uh, every every episode is an hour long, which is a flight time uh, that that is on. From an entertainment perspective, it's brilliant. It's really engaging. From a a real life hijacking, the absurdity levels are as high as the altitude it's flying at. You know, that sense. <laughs> that said, what he's doing at a game, you've got to be careful and give anything away here from, from the show, is yeah. trying to get into the minds of the hijackers. We want to know what makes them tick. What are their, what, what's the hook we can get in? Where's our leverage that we can gain some kind yeah. of control or influence um, and persuasion and cooperation? However, Having dealt with a hijacking for real, the chances of there being an Idris Elba on board to do that are very slim, and probably I wouldn't recommend it. If we've got a 9-11 type scenario where you know the intent of the hijackers is just to crash the plane, then I think people are going to get involved and intervene now, certainly post 9-11. But if it seems to be all under control, and it is, they are looking for a negotiated settlement, then it is going back to the point we've already raised. You want to emotionally self-regulate. You want to stay calm and focused, mentally agile, kind of absorb what's going on, not to antagonize the hijackers. And basically, you want to be there so you can reassure other people as well. But yeah, it's a great, that's a great show. But in terms of other ones out that are, uh, are more accurate, is there's a film with Meg Ryan and um, Russell Crowe years ago called Proof of Life where there was, a, I think it was an oil worker who got taken in, in Latin America. And uh, Russell Crowe was a negotiator who flew out. And what was realistic was in terms of that direct expectation management, the confrontation with kidnappers, and a lot of, we call them third-party intermediaries. You see this in a lot of deals where people come out of the woodwork, offer for a fee, of course, they will manage to try and smooth the way for you. They'll, they'll be the intermediary, perhaps. 
And more often than not, they'll just get in the way. So in terms of his dialogue with the kidnappers, with these third parties, um, it's pretty accurate. However, that's where that ends. I mean, I certainly don't go flying in on a gunship or all that kind of stuff. There. <laughs> it must be hostages. I want to go back from a tea and medals afterwards. But um, so, so often, in a lot of these shows, there's always a glimmer of reality because often they have an advisor on there. But um, if I said to people listening that, Again, 80, 90% of the time is just hanging around waiting for the phone to ring, managing the, uh, the right. emotional boredom and, uh, and what have you. But then when it does ring, you've got to be able to, to step up and really focus and get the job done. Yeah, as you talked through that with the examples um, and, and, and you, as some of the previous kind of answers you were giving too, this idea of active listening is obviously a key component to the work you do. Can you share an instance, is there, do you have an example of when you were able to de-escalate a fairly tense, maybe highly uh, intense situation by practicing effective listening? I think the one that springs to mind th that I share with people is a number of years ago, a number of people got taken off a ship, got hijacked off a ship by pirates, and they got taken inland and we hadn't heard anything for, for a couple of weeks. And so the tension was building in the crisis management team and in the family. And I'm working with, we call them the communicator. Usually because of a language barrier, I will use somebody and I will script and coach and train them about what we're going to say, what the objectives of the call are going to be. And we have a few conversations with the kidnappers. We get the demand down from several million down to the hundreds of thousands. But then we hear stalemate and in Nothing really shifts for, another, for a few weeks. And this is taking its toll on this communicator because he feels personally responsible for getting his, his friends back. And then on one call, he explains to the kidnappers why we haven't got as much money as they want. And he says, well, and please look after my friends. They're your responsibility, Mr. Kidnapper. To which the kidnappers turn around and go, no, they're yours. You pay the money by the end of the week or they'll die. We'll kill them. And then the line goes dead. And then you can hear a pin drop in the room. And that's when the communicator just gets his fist and he slams it down on the table. And he's a huge guy. He's a mountain of a guy. And I'm thinking that fist is going to come my way in a second. So I stand up take a step back, he gets up and he gets, how can you stand there so calm when my friends are going to die? And then he storms out. And I'm thinking, right, the kidnappers can wait. Again, I'm taking this, I guess, taking the initiative with a bit of risk here of we got the kidnappers where we want them to be. They're not going to do anything. It's just a threat. I now need to focus my attention on our own side. This is the crisis within the crisis. This is the key person without whom the hostages are not going to come back. Right. So I think I've got maybe 24, 36 hours that I can stall the kidnappers and I need to work with this communicator. So we just spend so much time together and I'm literally doing active listening 101 with him. I'm literally validating what, what's going on for him, his emotions, I'm identifying them, I'm paraphrasing and reflecting back. So ultimately, he feels safe, seen, heard and understood. 
you know, I may think he's wrong on a few things that he's raising, but that doesn't matter. And these techniques are so powerful, particularly when, we, when we're speaking with somebody who we disagree with. So he feels validated and heard and understood. And now we're doing that. I've earned the trust. I've earned the right to start influencing and persuading him and looking to bring about this cooperation and collaboration that is essential for him to get back in. So I'm using this empathy. I mean, empathy is a doing word. We have to do empathy. And so we get to that point. We're building the rapport. We're establishing a bit more trust. And then 24 hours later, he comes in the room, a fresh man. You know, he's showered, he's shaved, and he's had a shift, which is great. He's a shift of mindset. And he sits down, the kidnapper's phone, he's on the call, and we agree a deal. That was about $300,000 or whatever it was in the end. And then we get the hostages back. But that was a pivotal moment of really utilizing every active listening skill in the book. And it wasn't, I wasn't being... Machiavellian in what I was doing, I genuinely was concerned about him. Right. And the best way to to right. to bring about that behavioral change in cooperation is by being curious and the active listening skills. Awesome story hearing how that all gets tied together. So glad I had a good ending there. Cyber attacks and extortion are not new, yet many individuals and companies may not fully understand the risks involved. Can you share a bit about your experience with these specific negotiations and what your strategy is? when deciding whether to pay a ransom or not? Yes, yeah, cyber attacks are slightly different in that they will demonstrate their intent and capability of following through on what they're threatening. And what's easy with kidnappers is there's only the hostage. They can't clone it. They can't copy it. They can't hide it away. And if we pay the money, we know we're going to get the hostage back. Whereas when somebody may steal some data and then they'll encrypt some of your files as well with a ransomware attack for example we don't know what they're going to do with that data or if the keys they give back the decryption keys are going to work so it changes the rules of the game slightly yeah. and what i'll say to the companies as well as to the in a cyber extortion as well as in a kidnapping is are you willing and able to pay for this what's the What's the so what for you? Is this just a bump in the road? Or is this a game over for you or the business in a cyber attack? Is this a little inconvenience for you? Or is this going to absolutely threaten the viability of your business globally? Because sometimes, particularly in the early days of these cyber attacks, I'd get the call and I'd say to the company, okay, so how much are the extortionists? How much is the threat actor demanding? Oh, well, we don't know. Okay, well you know, we call it sandboxing. Can you maybe examine the link they've given and explore what the message is? I mean, how much are we going to pay here? And they go, okay, fine. I said, well, how much is this costing you in lost opportunity costs or business costs? Oh, about $200,000 a day. Okay, well, they, they click on the link and they realize it's actually, the demand is for 20,000 euros. And it's like, wow, okay. It's up to you, but you may want to consider <laughs> paying it if it's 20,000 euros, it's costing you 200,000 a day. Right. That said, just because you pay doesn't mean you're going to get the right keys or it's going to work properly. So there's a multitude of different factors here. Again, do we just want to buy time? So the IT team, the forensic people can actually 
you know, to use layman terms, can they do a sweep of the system, make sure it's clean, there's no residual malware there, and close the, the gap to which it came in? I would just imagine the framing of the commitment and how it's going to be implemented becomes even more critical in the, the case that you're describing. Absolutely. Another layer to this is clients have worked with have included law firms, hospitals, you know, and that certainly changes the dynamics here. I mean, if you're, if you manufacture widgets in a factory, I mean, everyone needs widgets, but, you know, when we're dealing maybe with a healthcare provider or really sensitive client confidential information, well, we were talking about leverage earlier. Well, guess who's got the leverage there? The different parameters to consider. Do you see any trends? I mean, in terms of the nature of the negotiations you're called in on kidnapping, cyber, other do we see the cyber? I mean, is that rapidly increasing? Is it taking more of your load? Or is it pretty steady kind of the, the sorts and types of negotiations? Is kidnapping less prevalent, more prevalent today? What do you see as trends occurring as we sit here in 2023? Okay, the, the two elements, let's take kidnapping first. There's always going to be kidnapping hotspots in the world. And it won't be a surprise to, to listeners where they are really. You know, you've got parts of the West Coast of Africa, Gulf of Guinea, parts of Latin America, the Middle East, and out towards the South Philippines. Always the hot spots. Although trends do shift slightly and you'll go through almost seasons of kidnapping where there's a rush of kidnappings and obviously they're off spending their loot and it'll go quiet for a few months and then they'll come back. Kidnappers take the August bank holiday too? <laughs> they take the bank holiday. They may even take uh, 4th of July. They may even take whatever day it is for them. And they'll go, well, no, actually, just on that, you'll see a rush to close deals by the end of the week, by a Thursday or a Friday, so then they can go and enjoy their money <laughs> at the weekend. <laughs> so if we want to agree, I'll agree a deal on a Monday or Tuesday. They're like, no, 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 we're going to hold out for more money. Get the Thursday, Friday, and they're like, yeah, we'll have a deal. Can you get the money to us by the end of the day? <laughs> it's like businesses trying to close at the end of a quarter, end of the year. So very interesting. Cyber, it's it's not going away, and the threats are just, um, they're improved. Well, I say improving, but they're getting more sophisticated. And whereas you, previously you may have just got a, a denial of service or a ransomware or a data theft, now they're just combining all of it. And actually, there was uh, that famous line, I think it was a former FBI director, about saying there are two companies in the world, those who have been hacked and those who will be hacked. Hmm. Yeah. But the amount of times I, uh, I work with clients and I'm like, okay, so what's the backup situation to the servers like? Um, yeah, we didn't really have a proper backup in place. You know, it was connected to the main the main system and you think, well, okay, well, there's an expensive lesson for you there. But I think <laughs> the thing I'll say for all organizations, whether or not it's private sector, commercial, charity, whatever it is, public sector, is you've got to do the preparation. Time spent in planning and preparation, just like time spent in reconnaissance in the military is seldom wasted. You know, we want to train ourselves to operate in times of crisis where we take things for granted in terms of community. We're going to be able to communicate on the email system. But if you get a cyber attack, you might not be able to do that. So how are you going to communicate amongst the decision makers? How are you going to control internal comms, for example? So it's, I call in the book about red teaming. 
You know, if you can get a red team in place where you can be the devil's advocate and you can probe and test all aspects of your business, then that's going to stand you in good stead. It's not going to cover everything, but it goes back to that bunch of fives I mentioned at the start of the podcast around if we can anticipate what are the likely challenges and threats and issues are going to hit us as a business or as a team, well, let's get ahead of the curve. And you know what? Chances of them happening are slim. But let's prepare ourselves mentally, emotionally, physically, logistically, culturally, that we can respond to this in our stride rather than it, you know, being really debilitating for us. You know, one thing in your bio that really interested Nolan and myself was that in, uh, during your career, you deployed overseas as part of a military intelligence interrogation team. Uh, to interdict and question high-value targets. Uh, just as a point of coincidence, the very first external negotiation training that our team at the West Point Negotiation Project conducted way back in 2009 uh, was for a similar type unit that was deployed to Iraq. I'm just curious, what did you learn from that experience that you've been able to apply elsewhere? There's a couple of things. First one was small team dynamics. Again, this is on our side, was how do you operate in a challenging environment like Iraq when there's a small group of you, all with your own belief systems, values, et cetera, the own egos, et cetera, you know, how do you operate, particularly when things don't go according to plan, particularly when there's external demands or threats, not just physically, but again, within the, the organization, which in that case was the military. And then the other thing was about dealing with the detainees was what's the hook? How am I going to really find out what's that point within them if we can get to, that's the kryptonite. That's the point that we can kind of unravel and peel back and understand who is this person because we can't influence somebody until we already know what already influences them. We need to know what makes them tick. And by being curious, by doing that, it enables us to then have that blank sheet of paper which we can, we can really go to town there. And so those skills learned in those early days really helped me later on in terms of you know, how I would operate and communicate and deal with people in other crises. You know, we've discussed a number of successful cases today. If you're comfortable sharing, have you ever had a failed negotiation that you could describe for our listeners as you reflected back on that situation? What uh, did you learn from it? There's a, a case just when I started out, actually. It was... Um, it turned out it was linked to a terrorist group. And out of respect for the family, I'm not going to go into the details of this, but this was one where the hostage never came back. In reality, it probably was never going to come back. It was going to be a part of a publicity stunt as a recruitment tool, I think, for the terrorists. And this was in the early days of me getting into this industry, into the business. Um, so it was a kind of real eye-opener. You know, Ben, when I come from a policing background where it was like the whole protect and serve, it was about being a good guy rescuing people and then, you know, giving it to the bad guys. And so it was a realization that we can do the best we can and then we have to be able to look ourselves in the mirror at the end of each day and go, you know, I call it the mirror never lies test. You look in the mirror and go, did I give it everything I could today? Okay, we almost have to detach ourselves from the outcome in which we really have only minimal control when you think about it of all the things that could go wrong, particularly in a hostage negotiation, I mean, you think about it, I can give you a hundred things that could go wrong. And if those things go wrong, people die. So it was being able to look myself in the mirror. And I didn't 
did everybody sit down and, and do this? It was just one of those things. I was looking in the mirror, getting ready one morning, and I thought, do you know what? We, we did everything we could. Could they sit down with the family and in all honesty, in complete integrity and authenticity, look them in the eye and go, do you know what? I did my best. I'm really sorry your loved one hasn't come home, but we left everything on the table there. We did everything we could. Um, you know, and sometimes that's just, you know, that's the, that's the way the result goes. So that was a real powerful example of control the controllables. There's some things, no matter how much kit, money, time, effort you put in it, you're just not going to be able to influence the result. Yeah. And so that was a real salutary lesson of, yeah, control the controllables. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, what a great expression to control the controllables. And one, you're not making excuses. I mean, you're you're holding yourself accountable for, as you've said, you know, your training, your preparation, everything that's led you to this moment, executing as as well as you can. And at the end of the day, not every negotiation is going to be a success in your world. That is a high cost. Um, the, the loss is huge when it's dealing with the human life, and to still be able to go back and reflect and say. Did we do everything possible? You mentioned AARs earlier. I imagine the AAR process is pretty critical, um, regardless of whether it's success or failure, the ability to go back and review what you what you did. Yeah, it's that constant review of how can we improve? How can we be, even if it's just a couple of percent better next time? And we do that not by finger pointing, it's creating that safe space. You know, that safe space of, right, everybody's an equal here around the team, over to you, what were your thoughts, comments, opinions, insights into what happened? And if we did that again, what would you do differently? Or where do you think it broke down? And not from a finger pointing, but from a learning perspective. And what that safe environment does, it then enables people to put their hand up and go, do you know what I screwed up there? Well, it's a segue into kind of the, this question I was going to ask about, you know, so much of what we've talked about is, is centering around negotiation. What you're talking about, right, is takes us even a little more broad, just as we consider crisis leadership in a general sense. And I'm just curious, in addition to what you're saying here, what other sort of advice would you give to CEOs, other senior leaders about how to most effectively overcome and achieve success when facing insurmountable odds or incredibly high stakes, highly uncertain situations for their organizations? I'd say first off, see it as it is. Don't catastrophize. You know, this is reality check. And then it's taking ownership and personal responsibility. By doing that, it's like, right, we've got it. We've, we've got hold of it. We're gripping it. And now we're going to do something about it. And there's two powerful questions that were, were told to me years ago was, so what and now what? Okay, so, so what? This has happened. What does this mean? What do we need to do? So the so what part and the now what? And by taking that personal responsibility and ownership, parking the ego, surrounding yourself as a leader, surround yourself with really good people. You know, and again, I use the line of the book that I got from Jim Collins. It's getting the right people sat in the right seats on the right bus you know, according to their, their personality type, according to their skill set. And you want these people to be able to speak truth to power. If you're making a really silly move, you want to empower your team to go, Scott, that's not the best move there because A, B, and C. 
And that takes a lot of courage, particularly the high ends of, organ of an organization, to allow people maybe two, three, four, five, six, seven levels below you to call you out. And so by developing that culture takes time. But boy, oh boy, when the crisis happens or the, the challenging situation, I know which environment I'd rather be in. You know, yes, you need to make decisions quickly, but you want an environment where you're seen and heard and you've got a voice. But ultimately, you as a leader are going to have to make a decision. But it's best to get the people's opinion if you can and stay cool, calm, collected. Test, practice, prepare. All these things we've spoken about in this podcast will really stand leaders in good stead that when that button gets pressed, when that crisis appears, they can deal with it as effectively as possible. It's a wonderful answer. It, it, it does focus on the culture that you foster as a leader within an organization. Is it open and accessible to people with different ideas to bring those forward? Or is it one in which people don't? And, and in a moment of crisis, that's when you need people engaged, leaning forward into it, not on the back, just waiting to receive. It's a great response. Thanks. Thank you, Scott. Scott, as we get ready to wrap up, is there anything we haven't asked you that you'd like to share with our listeners as a final thought or key takeaway? I would actually say as much as possible is to, when you're in a negotiation, is to enjoy it as much as you can. <laughs> you know, we're so focused on achieve, 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 but then we become the hamster on the wheel. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I've got this deal. I've got another deal. I've got another deal. It's like, okay, well, how much of all these deals are you enjoying? And so as much as you can, the business you're in may be a serious business, but it doesn't mean you can't have fun achieving it and moving through with a bit more ease and joy. And you know what? It makes it far more fun and enjoy, but a better place to work for the people around you as well. And I think you show up better too, right? You sound a better version of yourself. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Scott. Thanks, Scott, for, for joining us on the show today. Really excited. Kind of want to kick it over to Aaron for some closing thoughts here. Oh, yeah, there's so so much here. I'm just going to focus on the one. Um, I don't think I'd heard it phrased the way you had before, but that, you know, empathy is is a doing word. The idea of being, you know, showing somebody that you're negotiating with that they're safe, they're seen, they're heard, they're understood, and they're validated. What a powerful place to get to. And that goes whether you're negotiating externally, but even more importantly, or and more importantly, negotiating internally to make that happen. Well, that's it for us on today's podcast. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Negotiate X podcast. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.